All right. Thank you for joining another episode of the StashCast, where we have interesting conversations with interesting people focused mostly on the world of uh, real estate and prop tech. StashCast is brought to you by Needle. What if you could use data and analytics to predict real estate transactions before they occur? You can with Needle. Check it out at Needle, N-E-D-L dot U-S to learn more. All right. Dr. Ivan, how are you today? Fantabulous. What's up, Stash? I'm living my best life. Is interesting conversations with interesting people. And it's usually around commercial real estate and prop tech, but an exception today because you are an exceptionally interesting person. Why don't you give the viewers at home a little bit of an overview of who you are and what you do, and we'll roll from there. Stash, thank you so much for that introduction. I appreciate it. So I'm just I'm just a regular guy from Haiti, born in Haiti. And as a young kid, about six months old, came to America. And we landed in New York. And first 10 years of my life in New York. And one day my father, who's a physician, came home and decided he didn't want to live in New York anymore. And so we moved to Lima, Ohio, uh, the center of the universe. Those of us who know Lima well will attest to it's the center. Don't no need to pay attention to what they taught you in school. It's uh it truly is Lima, which is the center of the universe. Yeah, grew up in Lima from that, that point on. Came here to Cincinnati and started at the University of Cincinnati in 1987. And back and forth. Uh did go back to New York, Atlanta, spent some time back in Lima but kept on finding my way back here in Cincinnati and got myself into sales. I thought I was going into medical school, but that didn't work out. I started a career in sales. And then from that point, I got into an opportunity at General Electric selling. At the time, they had one of the biggest acquisitions where they acquired several IT resellers and consolidated consolidated them into one. And so I was on the the team that drove that business. I made some really great connections there. I learned a lot of things. And shortly thereafter, I took my skills, my sales skills to human capital with career builder. And that was a fascinating time. I like to share with people that it was shortly after Y2K. So those of us that remember Y2K, we we were still excited that the world hadn't stopped because everybody thought that yeah, with Y2K, it, yeah, it was a huge panic. Also, during that time, the emergence of email just went across corporate America. And there were a lot of people who didn't see the need for it, uh, tried to avoid it. But at that time, also like to share that one of the one of the key things that I think assisted and helped me in my sales growth is that the leaders in these companies that I would want to talk to, I would help them out with their outlook and their email. They didn't know how to use it. <laughs> so went in there and uh, truly the lasting piece of that is that it helped me build relationships. Yeah, People trusted me. They'd call me back. They'd ask me for help on things. I'd get phone calls on the weekends about things that I had no 
I didn't have any knowledge about. They would just ask me for advice and if I could connect them with, with others or other resources. My experience in the human capital field has got me to where I am today. Uh, I have my own business, Hamilton Demo, and I provide uh, retained search, executive search, professional placement, also doing any recruiting solutions for organizations of all sizes. And I also have a specialty in diversity, and I'll do some consulting um, within organizations within their uh, town acquisition and recruiting. And so more on the personal level, married, three kids, and just living the dream here in uh, in Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah Did so I leave anything out, Stash? I don't think so. You're a multi... Well, you're also the mayor of Anderson Township, unofficially. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, and I have some friends that remind me I've also had a beer named after me. So yeah. I, I guess that's I guess that's pretty cool. That's true. Yeah. So you and I met because our boys are the same age. They actually go to the same high school together now, which is a big thing in Cincinnati. What high school did you go to? But we met when they were young and you were uh, you're really great at building relationships, both socially and I think professionally as well. I am on the other side of things. I'm more of a mercenary. Let me go get this job done. Can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to effectively build relationships through your career and maybe offer some advice to those of us who aren't as good at that on how you do it and do it very effectively? Yeah. So Stash, that, that is a great question. I think it's really two parts. That professional side, I think I learned about myself that just competitive by nature. Do do I let that competitiveness come out 24-7? No, not necessarily. When I'm with a group of people or on the field or if I'm in a sales group and we've got our names on the wall, I don't want to be on the bottom. I want to be on the top. And learning how to be pleasantly persistent in my profession, in my career has allowed me to really make connections with people that that maybe there would not have been opportunities for that. And I think that always being pleasant, I don't think I don't think people look at salespeople as necessarily as friendly all the time. I think that persistence sometimes comes at at untimely moments. Or that persistence may come off as sometimes being pushy. If you remember that and keep your pleasantness um, about you, it it does make a difference. Is it every time? Is it going to is it going to negate the the negative aspect that it may have? Not all the time, but I do think it makes a, an impact, and people do remember when they need to call you. That apprehension isn't necessarily there; it's disappeared. Because they, a lot of times they will need to call you. And I, I welcome that. And on the personal side, which I think helps me with my professionals, my professional side is what I've learned. I didn't realize this actually till recently here in the last few years. I generally do have an interest and curiosity about people. And yeah. that curiosity attracts me to people as well. If somebody's standing there happy and smiling and I want to know what's so funny. What can I get in on this? And I've had people ask me, 
and they'll tell me, hey, why don't I know this about that person? Or I've been in a room and we've been in meetings before and I don't know. And I'm like, have you ever asked? Yeah, there, there are people who aren't necessarily outgoing or maybe even a little shy. But I think if you try to practice maybe even once, you don't have to like, you don't have to like go like the old school, go through a whole room and do a networking exercise. But if you can just go to one person and, and show genuine interest, hey, where'd you get that jacket? Or I noticed this about you. Oh, tell me how you attained this role. What was your journey? I, I think a lot of people would be surprised on what type of connections they can make. Yeah. One of the things that I found fascinating is that you called me up once and were like, hey, I'm teaching a class on sales. And first of all, I never knew that there are classes on sales. That's a tr like a college level course on sales. And I thought that was great. And then you asked me to come in and speak a little bit about um, what I did to your class. And that was a, a great time. I'm curious, what are the things that you were teaching as a professor that you also are like, are you applying everything that was in the class directly or, or maybe indirectly? Yes. So let me tell you, I think the practice of selling and professional selling, which I taught, which we, the foundation and the framework was around ethical selling, right? So that was the core and foundation. But Stash, honestly, a lot of the, a lot of the business schools, they have selling and the better business schools, University of Cincinnati, Baylor, just to name a couple, they've got sales programs within those colleges. My, the opportunity for me to teach at Thomas More University was phenomenal because they had that program there for years and I was able to come on board and take over the reins, uh, take the baton and run with it. And one of the things I realized right away is although the program was very, was very like vigorous, I, I noticed an opportunity to bring real world life into the program. So what does that mean? So first thing, I've never met a salesperson that when they were in the sixth grade career fair, showed up to share with everybody that they wanted to be a salesperson. They might be out there, I'm sure, but I don't know anyone and I've asked and no one's ever told me, hey, sixth grade career fair, I, I presented that I wanted to be a salesperson. Yeah. Right? So that's number one. But number two is there's so many aspects of our professional careers and our lives that we are selling. And whether we realize it or not, it's selling. And one of the one of the great opportunities that I had in uh, teaching the course is I would bring individuals that not only were great salespeople, but these were people that utilized their sales abilities and skills and experience to attain other roles, get into different industries. Right. Salespeople who became owners, took over other businesses, became CEOs, got into politics, held office. The list goes on and on. There are all these 
there are all these different aspects of sales that can take you to different places. And looking at these kids, you saw them, right? Their eyes yeah. are so big. First day they sit there, they don't know what they're getting into. And as a matter of fact, if you ask them, you ask each kid, they'll tell you that sales is something different. They all have different views and definitions of sales. So is it sales support, inside sales, outside sales, business development? The list goes on and on. We can we can move on. So I was really happy to bring people from all industries and backgrounds and share it with the kids. Yeah. Back to what you were talking about earlier. I think of my job and I've said it to my team as we get paid to follow up. Like we get, you, you have to find the deal, but then once you find the deal, oftentimes it's going and, Hey, where are we at with this? What's next? Like we're <laughs> bouncing back and forth on a contract right now. So that's what I find a lot of it is, but yeah, I think being out there and being politely persistent, as I like to say, is yeah. how I've found success. Yeah, I think I will say this too, and excuse me, my I, my daughter hopped in to say bye to me, but you know who she is, right? Yeah. yeah, I will say this. One of the things that I was really surprised about uh, through that experience is the excitement that these speakers would have coming into the class. I think I'm teaching these students who are we're students in this university, but it never occurred to me that the people coming in were learning as well. A lot of times they didn't realize that their experience and what they had to share was something necessary that they could share in an academic setting. So that was really exciting as well. Yeah, I found that I've got a couple of associate brokers or junior brokers, you might say, and it's sharing with them the hard the hard lessons that we've learned through trial and error, you say you can help them navigate, okay, this is what to do here versus there. And you're not always going to be perfect, but it's, yeah, it's sharing that experience has been a hard one sometimes helps you get better as a salesperson. Yeah. Gosh. And I, I can tell you for one, and I think I speak for you too, Stash, how great would it have been to have a coach yeah. standing like behind you, right behind your shoulder, right? Yeah, I had some pretty good mentors and leaders, managers here and there, but it, somebody who was there the whole time said, oh, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Oh, follow up one more time. Oh, only wait a day. Don't wait a week for that one. Yeah. Gosh, those are, that would have been so amazing. So I, I do try to keep myself and make myself available to to my students even though we're not in the classroom all the time and it's been four or five years uh, it's a joy when they do reach out to share some things and ask for advice for, from it as well what are some of the best advice that you have for either new or mid-career or even seasoned salespeople that you've seen yeah as i developed and i started getting into these enter these enterprise accounts and selling to to these clients i got to the point where it usually took me just as just as much time to sell a million dollars as it did to sell 
a thousand dollars. Yeah. Think big. I remember getting to that point because I was, I was growing, but I was thinking, where's the next step in, in my development, in my sales? And how do I get from these six figure deals to the seven figure deals? And as I shared, it took me the same amount of time to get the six figure deals as it did to get the smaller deals. So why, how do I get to, to that seven figures? And I realized for myself that the solution selling along with the relationship selling was really my best tool. Cause once I was in an account, if I had a solution within an account, then it was harder to get rid of me or it was harder to go on to the next person who called on the phone. Cause you got to remember this. We may be great salespeople, but there's tons of us out there trying to get into that same account calling all the time. Yeah. And how do you make that difficult? So an example with, with a career builder and monster actually as well, when I worked at monster, yeah, the simple thing, the, the straight route was to sell a posting, right? Let me put all, all your jobs and post them on our site and we'll take care of that. But that was easy. Now, if we integrated with them and their applicants, applicant tracking system, if we provided technology that their recruiters could use, a resume database, as well as some other system to help support their recruiting. Now you've got a solution of products that they can't just pull one or two things out. They would have to revamp their whole recruiting process. Mm -hmm. And that, that made it harder to get rid of me. So what does that mean? I have a continual recurring account that happens over and over again. And I think that works for a lot of other companies, right? You sell a widget, but what can I sell? Once I get that widget in there, what can I sell around that widget that makes it essential to the company to keep the whole solution, not just the widget and its parts? Because the, the, the whole system and solution becomes part of that company and how they operate. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm thinking about that in the context of Needle, the solution that we're bringing to market. Um, and right now it's just one thing, but we have aim to expand it into other verticals and then other analytical tools and things like that. I'm curious, how has how have you found your job, your career change and evolve as technology has gotten better? Because I come from commercial real estate and it's super slow to evolve. Sometimes, yeah. Like it wasn't that long ago. I was still getting faxes. Like I still had an e-fax like last year. Finally got rid of it. But oh, boo. <laughs> I'm curious, how have you seen things change for you? Wow. Yeah, it's it's been quite a ride because as I said, when I started in human capital, things I was in the midst of change. Right. Companies were starting to use their career site. Companies were using applicant tracking systems, which basically is how they post a job and use an aggregator to disperse it all over the place and track, track their process. These large companies, once they create a rec, they track that rec and all the candidates that come in and 
everything else. So that was huge at the time because you would go to a company and they thought because they built a, a career site that people would come. They had it right? all figured out. I built They it. had it all figured out, but it didn't quite work. It didn't quite work like they thought. A destination site, you needed to figure out a way to drive people to the destination. And we figured that out a lot to the point where I think where we are now is the discussion in the space about automation. So now we're using technology so much that we have recruiters that literally sit behind a laptop and wait for a resume to pop up. And if it doesn't come, then they just sit there and wait longer rather than going out and discovering and uncovering opportunities for individuals to engage their company. So that automation piece really is what's going on right now that's really changed the nature of recruiting, the whole culture of recruiting in general. So more, so I will say, even when I started, even with the technology, recruiting and talent acquisition was more proactive. And now it's not as proactive as more it used to be. Sitting back and waiting for things to come in as opposed to going out and beating the bushes. Yes. Yeah. And then now with AI, there's there's a component there where we can match a lot easier than we used to be able to. But again, that's still part of the whole automated process. And it does it does conflict with the proactive process. If you were to uncover that gem, that hidden gem, rather than waiting for it to just show up. Yeah. Part of it is, I wonder, are with all these smart things, are you maybe sometimes missing some candidates who might have that inherent desire, but their resume doesn't reflect that? Like, how do you- 100%. 100%. Well, here's the thing that's going on with that automation is it's it's pretty one-sided, right? Because you're you are lacking and ignoring the candidate experience. And so what do I mean by the candidate experience? Someone who wakes up one morning, decides they want something new and a new job, right? So how do they go about applying for a job? And as a matter of fact, how do they go about applying for a job if they've never applied for a job before? Or perhaps this person is in their early 20s and they don't have a resume. Or maybe this person is in their 40s and they've never they haven't had to make write up a resume in, in the past 15, 20 years. Right. So these are things that happen all the time in real world things that happen on the candidate side. I think with that automation, it there there is a block of understanding that candidate experience that could make that can make things a lot easier. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I wonder if there are sometimes skill sets that are yet to be uncovered that, that don't reflect on what's that don't reflect on a resume. Cause maybe you don't know how to hit the keyword One, or something like that. 100%, 100%. So part of the implications of that stash is 
for every person who is adept at talking about their skill sets and being able to communicate it, there's somebody else who's not. Yeah. Right. Same roles, doing the same thing, but they haven't had to do it or they're what, whatever it may be. So that is a real issue. And then I try to, sorry for being so nerdy about this, but I uh, asked you. Yeah. Um, but truly also what we get into and what I have seen is you have this technology and you're automating yourself and you're using all the resources that you're using that's available to you. And you're searching for all these keywords and key phrases and, and skills from a document. And a lot of the, and a lot of the terminology that you're using are internal. And these internal words don't necessarily match what's outside the organization. Yeah. So there's a lot of elements at play that I think bringing together and connecting the experiences could really make things easier for people. I'd like, I like to think that's where I come in handy and I can interpret that a lot of times and bring that to the client. Yeah. And also share with the candidate, right? Cause I get it. Candidates get really excited. They get really enthusiastic about these opportunities. Yeah. I want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier on was it takes as much to sell a thousand dollar sale, sometimes more than it does like a million dollar deal. And I've found that to be the case. Sometimes these smaller deals, you have less experienced people that you're dealing with. And so you've got to do more handholding and the, the juice isn't necessarily worth the squeeze sometimes. Yeah. And I think from my experience and, and my journey, it really taught me as a salesperson, and we've all been here where you're like, Hey, Instead of making it, instead of quoting for $50,000, let's quote it for 5,000 because I know that they're not, they're not going to buy the 50,000. So sure, you've got budgets and you you have knowledge about a client's needs, et cetera. So that's one thing. But when you're, when you don't know that and you're starting with a clean slate and you're trying to figure out what their budget is or whatnot, go with the 50,000. And if you need to scale it down, then you can scale it down. And I think too, if you're if it's gonna if you're gonna have to go through this whole sales process, and at the end you're gonna you're gonna be able to sell what you've presented by going through the the organization. Because when you're younger, you may think you have you may think you have a decision maker because they've told you, but then you find out. They're not the decision maker. Are they an influencer? Yeah, that's great. (laughs) But you're going to have to go through a few more steps. Yeah. And you go through that process. And if at the end I can sell a million dollars, it's better for everybody. And if not a million, then maybe it's that hundred or the 50,000 that we were stuck on before. Yeah. I think for us, it's trying to chase bigger deals that have bigger fees attached to them. Because sometimes if you're selling a 20 unit deal, you're going to have to 
walk all 20 units versus a 200 walk all 20 units. You maybe are the one drafting the contract, helping find inspectors and things like that, which is fine. You want to help your clients as much as you can, but then sometimes you get a 200 unit and once terms are agreed upon, the attorneys start talking and then they just take everything else from there. And it's let me know when it closes. I wish yeah. I had a lot more of those, but yeah. just the way it works. Yeah. Again, sure. You're never gonna get a you're never gonna get away from the small deals. The small deals are always yeah, they're always there. Are, they're always there, they're essential. And yeah, if I can get a small deal and get my foot in the door and build from that, of course. Don't get me wrong. All things being equal, starting off, especially with a new prospect. Yeah. Go ahead. Think globally. Think big. I think that all that helps everybody. What are some of the best ways that you found to go out and prospect on or secure new accounts or opportunities? Yeah. One of the biggest ways, 101, utilize my own network. Yeah. So... I make sure that everyone I know knows what I do. And so I've got ears all over the place. And when they hear of an opportunity, I just wait till the phone rings and have them give me a call and tell me about what they heard or what they know, or better yet, if they can introduce me to that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, which... I'm getting back into because the, the pandemic was truly a hindrance is really trying to be where my clients are. So a lot of these association meetings, national conventions, et cetera, I had great opportunities and chances to be shoulder to shoulder with these decision makers and companies for years. And I think that's good advice for anyone. Find out where your clients are and where they're going to be. And if they're all going to be somewhere at one time, maybe that's where you want to be too. Walk the floor, bring a whole bunch of cards. Yeah. Uh, there, and there's there's so many opportunities to, to advertise yourself now from being sponsorship within the context that you're in at that time. Or now they've got geo-targeting as well. That's phenomenal. And if you just happen to be there and somebody clicks on something and you're like, oh, I can see, I can meet you in five, 10 minutes. Yeah. These are great opportunities. Business is a, a belly to belly sort of thing. Somebody said one time and that's stuck with me. Yeah. Belly to belly. I was just at a, a conference in San Diego a couple of weeks ago. And I still feel like I'm getting dug out from it. <laughs> I haven't gotten through all the follow-ups that I have to do, but yeah, you walk through the lobby of it and you run into so many people and say, hey, how you doing? And you spark up some organic conversations that you otherwise, it wasn't on the, the schedule, so you wouldn't have necessarily had it. Yeah, Stash, you're so right, because we've got, we've got social media and tools and technology that we didn't have 10 years ago. But truly, if you're belly to belly, I and gosh, if you can be you can be in that room and have somebody else introduce you you tell me where do you think how do you think that's that connection is going to go yeah exactly great ivan what is the best way to get in touch with you you can call stash galinsky and ask for, <laughs> for me or you can call me directly 
at 513-257-9683, 513-257-9683. And if you are not able to write that number down, you can also go to hamiltondemo.com. That's www.hamiltondemo.com. That number is there. You can email me, call me directly. I will say also, Stash, if someone's just interested in how we go about things, our processes, we have the opportunity to provide a free estimate and we can have a discovery call and do a little bit of research and provide you with that at no cost. So. Who would you say would be like an ideal client for you? So actually, so I've got experience at all levels, but I will say that organizations that are growing, they're maybe a new location or growing a region, that would be perfect. Also, if you're a company large or small or in between, and you have a role that you have not been able to fill in three months or more, even if it's been a year plus, give me a call. Let me see what I let me see what I can do for you. I actually welcome the tough and difficult roles. Again, a lot of the things I shared with you previously, Stash, I think I can implement and uncover with these organizations that can make their lives easier. So I definitely if you if there's a role that an, any organization is having a tough time filling, or if you're growing and you need someone to help you with the, the pace of that growth, please think of us. Ivan, you're the man. Thank you so much for joining me today and hope you have a great rest of your day. Hey, you too, Stash. Thank you for having me, brother. And hey, why don't we do this? Please let me know if I can ever come back and for sure. we can do this again. All right. Sounds good.